Hello and welcome to Stories from the Crisp Brewer. This is Season 4, Episode 10. Gravity is not the friend of fruit. <laughs> and you can definitely tell that by dropping an apple or dropping a grape, how it doesn't really end up that well. Or, an a or a pear, or a tomato, or an orange. It doesn't really end that well. It is April 17th. It's been a while since I put one up because of, uh, yeah. 2021 is not doing much better than 2020. And we are in the third lockdown for Alberta. I'm more frustrated about that because because as far as we know, the government has yet to properly distinguish what caused this third lockdown. We know there's a third wave and we've had very bad numbers. On uh, Thursday, we had like 1,600 people infected and 55% were variant cases. But the numbers of how this wave started predates Easter weekend, which is what the government's blaming everyone on, the Easter weekend at gatherings. Like, well, it probably was the week prior to Easter that really kept going, and then Easter weekend, weekend they had cases. And then the spike following Easter weekend, how it's fluctuated up and down, says that something is still happening, where shutting down restaurants, shutting down gyms, shutting down all these things that from Easter weekend that you thought was the cause— hasn't changed much. It turns out a lot of things are still causing the spread, and I think what it is is people gathering in their houses because they can't gather anywhere else, so they're like, fuck it, let's just gather in our house. And with the slow vaccine rollout of Alberta, it's okay, but it needs to be better, and the fact how they've now decided to go to inoculation, uh, mass inoculation centers, which should help, but they've also said they might be deviating um, vaccines from pharmacies, which I think are actually the easier way to distribute them because you have pharmacies in more places versus people needing to travel. People don't want to use public transit, so if they don't, they have to then book a taxi or an Uber or something else. If they don't have family, it makes it hard. So there's all these other things, and the government could help with that by by pre-scheduling uh, waves of people coming and going to make the set, set it up so they could get in, but this is the bureaucracy of the country we're talking about and the province. So, knowing this, and all the authority and extension of authority that government is forcing on the populace, the fear, which unfortunately is not prevailing in Canadian population, is that this is the time where an authoritarian group or a dictator goes and grabs power. Because people are a good portion of the population will believe anything at this point that the government tells them about the coronavirus. Even though the government, when being sued, does not have the ability to release the data about it. Now, that could be from A, they don't have the data, which is the more cynical position, or B, the time of which the data is required might not allow them to be create a sufficient data package to show in the court, specifically Al the Alberta lawsuit that's going on, that, they, uh, that their methods were not efficient, or that the methods were not the way they needed them to be. Now, I can give forgiveness on that, if their methods fluctuate and that they, they're doing things and they're trying to keep track of it, but they really can't just say, this is exactly how we did it all the time. Um, there's estimates going on. There's um, predictive analysis and all this other stuff. And it's like, but is any of that national security risk? It's like, well, it's the province of Alberta, so the answer is no. Okay, well, can you at least give us like some documentation of how decisions are being made? And there are people who are going off crazy on people like... Uh, not me, but because uh, I'm not in that extreme. But there are people who are like, oh, F it. Like, just 
no restrictions whatsoever, and I'm leaning that way. I'm saying that the government shouldn't have the ability to shut down the economy. And with the reality of the province of Alberta and Canada being a public health care system, that unfortunately this is the avenue of how they can absolutely dominate their authority, saying it's a public health crisis, you need to not do anything or else the healthcare system will collapse. Like, well, if I'm not doing anything, I'm not economically do any, doing anything, I'm not making any money, which means that my taxes can't pay, I don't make enough money to pay taxes, which means I can't pay with my taxes into the system that will fund the healthcare system that is currently being overrun. I mean, at least, as Alberta's going, at least as we're doing well, compared to some places such as Montreal and Quebec, which have an 8 o'clock curfew, which started for two weeks, then became four weeks, and now is like over eight weeks, I think close to 13 weeks or whatever. Not working. It's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. The people who are critical of it are critical of it, but the government's like, nah. And the courts, unfortunately, just re just give deference to the population, to the government. So it means that you can't, re you don't really have a judicial check on the legislative and the executive authority in Canada. Now, there's things I could connect that to in the United States, but I'm not going to touch that on this episode because U.S. politics, it's just, it's a mess. There's no real good way to talk about it, and the people who are talking about it are better than me. But now we have the problem where the claims of listening to the science is now just a mantra. It's not always true because science is ever-changing and ever-researching. Um... You have theories that are getting tested, and if they are correct, they stay. They move into they stay as theories until they are consistently correct with multiple multiple variable changes. Just as long as that theory stays whole, then it eventually becomes a law. If it's a theory and it's tested one time and it fails, it's usually thrown out. If it's tested once and it works, and then they change something and it completely fails, it's thrown out. Um, the problem with the pro the, the Canadian government is the uh, Public Health Agency of Canada. During the initial wave of COVID, COVID-19 spreading across the world, created their threat assessment solely based on the infections that were in Canada at the time they produced that threat assessment. So they made this threat assessment in like March 3rd. And prior to March 3rd, there was very few, if any, cases in Canada that were known, like, like single digits to double digits, like nothing. And that's where they made the threat assessment, which would be fine if Canada was a closed system where nobody was coming and going. The problem is, is that the rest of the world still exists. So they completely voided the data that did not include the 36 or 37 million Canadians that were in the country at the time. 37 million Canadian citizens and residents. Versus the rest of the world, the other 7.5 to 7.7 .7, like billion people living on this planet who are traveling, spreading it around, being infected. They made their threat assessment solely based on what was information only inside, that was only relevant to inside. They weren't looking at external data, such as transmission rates through Europe, through the United States, through Asia. Jeez, if I was in charge of that agency, and that was a private agency making a threat assessment, the contract, the company that would hire us should rightfully fire and possibly and most likely would sue for damages and incompetence. And yet these people are going to walk away with full pensions. Some of them will be shuffled around but remain in government office because they're bureaucrats. They're hard to take. Theresa Tam needs to be like just like thrown to the curb because uh, 
she can't speak about anything smartly. And the problem with this all is you have doctors who are appointed by politicians who will agree with the politicians who appointed them because, of course, why, why would they? Or if they do, it's backroomy sort of disagreements, but it will never be publicized. And these are doctors who are generally regular physicians, like family physicians. Some might be, um, you know, emergency room uh, technicians, uh, you know, surgery, surgery trained doctors, stuff like that. Not to dismi- not to diminish them, but they aren't as scientifically sound in their research as they like to think they are. And I'm saying this as a person who is not a super scientifically literate person. Doctors read summaries of surveys they don't, and of studies. They don't read the whole st- study. They don't criticize like, okay, this is the methodology on it. Sometimes, rarely are they actually even involved. They're just seeing their own anecdotes of research because they observing what they're observing. Not to say that information is wrong, but there is definitely more data that can be collected. And the epidemiologists who are making these claims that we have to shut everything down are the epidemiologists who don't connect their research back to the economics of the human situation. They're just straight up like, here's how viruses spread. Okay, yeah, yeah. We we do need that information. That is very useful. But we are also living beings ourselves. Like you basically are saying, virus spreads, human is static. We need to stop virus spread by by making sure human remains static. But human must eat, sleep, commute, have social life with other beings, other human beings, Like must go to work, must earn income, must earn resources to spend, to, val- to get other resources, must commit trade. And when you throw out the whole, oh, we, we don't need to worry about the economics and the trade aspect of human life, the transactions that we go through every day of buying, selling, communicating, um, talking, like you know, driving around, doing all that. If you throw all that out, and we all become static trees, it, your your epidemiology map is going to look like the pine beetle uh, predictions of how they spread. But if you then put into the human condition, boy, does things start to shift and change. And how lockdowns, you either get people who fully endorse and will believe anything, unfortunately, or you get the people who will revolt against this all. And then you get rational people in the middle who are like, I don't agree with how you're doing it. I understand there's a global threat. This virus is spreading. It's it's dangerous. It is deadly. It is a new thing we are experiencing in this time. We have not seen a virus like this, this effective at global spread since the 1920s. Have there been other pa- other epidemics before? Yes. One saving grace of um of this of um the coronavirus, this one, that induces COVID-19, is that it's more, uh, even though it's more infectious, it's less deadly than SARS and MERS were before it. There's definitely more information that needs to be done. There's more data that needs to be collected. And we need, and the problem is you look at these polls that say 54% of Canadians agree about the stance, and you just, you want to go into the methodology of researching polls, because unfortunately, polls are, can be quite flawed. And the data that they release can be either like reflectionary, honest data, or they can be very effectively used as propaganda. By creating the right way to word a question is a very hard thing. Like it's very difficult to make a very neutral poll. 
And there are wordsmiths who specifically do that. And then there are people who are wordsmiths who do the, the exact opposite, where they want a poll to skew a certain way. Or they create questions that will always create a more emotional response, which means that you will get a stronger thing. The idea poll would be something that's like, you know, you have strongly agree, slightly agree, neither agree nor disagree, blah, blah, blah. You get those five things like yes, no, sort of, t- more, more to the yes, more to the no, you know, that sort of thing. That's what you would really like. But you have to very carefully word those questions to be efficient. There are ways where those questions, may, the phrasing and, um, and the terms used, need to be adjusted as time goes on because the meanings in common culture may start to shift those words and terms to be different than when they were originally written. You also need to make sure that the context of the question is almost locked down. So there's some questions like in the political compass um, online test. There are questions that are, for what they are, they're very well written. But they um, they don't take into further fields. Like some people will think in a very narrow scope. And yet when you look at that question, if you think of a larger scope, how your answer could completely change. Like, do you believe this? It's like, well, like there are events where I do. Your question is too broad, yet you're trying to make it yet you're trying to define the answer as a very narrow-scoped answer. I mean, we know that polls have been bad. We didn't see uh, the polling data did not show Donald Trump winning in 2016. The polling data did not show the uh, amount of voters showing up in 2020. The victory that Biden had, it predicted either considerably more than he actually got, and it did not predict the amount of voting that Trump did get. So these pollsters, there's a missing link they're not finding. And... I don't think it's actually them. I don't think it's their fault. They are trying to find this missing link, and they're searching as hard as they can. And based on what I'm seeing, every time they make this correction, another problem shows up. So I think they're trying to scope down so narrowly. They're trying to get to such a fine tip of data management that they may not be able to get it because there's too much noise around it, which is my the problem I have about the COVID-19 polls is, is that there is a lot of noise surrounding COVID-19, surrounding the coronavirus, surrounding the lockdowns. And unfortunately, it seems quite, in Canadian culture, quite often one side is the only side that needs to get the microphone on it and that everything else should be muted out. And there are people who are absolutely tuning out from this who don't even want to be involved, who hear about this and they're like, oh, I just want to go somewhere else. And there's other people who are hearing about it and they're terrified. And then there are other people who hear about it and it's like, well, the odds of it are insignificant. I only know one or two people who have had it, and they're all, uh, like, you know, third order from me. Like, you know, there are three or four relationships disconnected from me directly. It's not like I see these people all the time. It's like a like an acquaintance of an acquaintance sort of thing. But when you start seeing, and the news media and the government in Canada can totally be blamed for both of these things combined, is you just get raw numbers. Like, 1,600 people were, inf- were detected. Okay, when were those tests all received yesterday? Or were tests coming in delayed, like, from some areas, like, three or four days, which means that some of these people who might be testing positive, they may have also gotten the test at the end of their infection. Are you properly making sure that people who are getting tested when they first test positive and they're getting tested, like, two weeks later, is that test properly confirmed as the same case, or could it be, unfortunately, mixed up, which may happen. I don't think it's that big, but it's it's a concern that should be documented. And I know with um, with the 
right to privacy and how you can't release a lot of information for the fear of identifying people, I understand how that's tricky to do. The government, not really, because they're the ones getting all the information. But if there's a screw-up, could it be that somebody's had three or four tests and they've been sick once, and yet all the tests say they've been positive, so those, unfortunately, three tests get considered as three separate events. And we don't get the proper case number data as quick as we want. The tests are, are they one day? Are they taking two days to complete? Are they three days to complete? What is the lag time? What is the acceptable lag time for a test coming in and being thrown into that day's data release? It'd be much nicer if that da information was very, very, very um, transparent. And we'll see how this, um, as these audits seem to be going on. Thank goodness there is an audit going on, which seems to be very critical in how... Uh, I think there will be some serious, serious checks in the coming future about this all. And I hope that at the end of this, people are skeptical of the government in general. I don't like people just bowing over and saying, oh, I, I, I you know, government's saying we shouldn't go out, so we absolutely shouldn't go out. It's like, so if a volcano was erupting and the lab was coming down your street, but government said because of COVID-19 you shouldn't leave your house, what do you, are, are you going to stick in your house? I think the, the issue is people aren't facing a moral dilemma right now. And part of it is because Canada's government has subsidized living at home at the expense of future taxpayer projects and future uh, wealth that can be distributed and traded in Canada under the guise of we can pay it all back tomorrow. Deficit spending is perfectly fine. And we're all going to eat this in a terrible way. Will it be an increase in GST? Will it be an increase in estate taxes when people die? Will it be an increase in income tax at various tiers? When you start doing the math, you start seeing, seeing there's a problem here. And you don't really want to get the government's hooks in you with their so-called free money that they're just throwing out. If the government's throwing out free, free money to keep running during a pandemic, the correct response is government stops taxing. But then it's like, oh, but we don't make any money. So, but you just took taxes from somebody, from multiple people, like multiple entities, and you've chosen to give it to a select group of entities is that not corruption even if it's almost everyone can apply for it if everyone's not getting the same or if your um formula is not very well uh documented and very well publicized and transparent could there be a company that has three people three employees getting sixty thousand and a company that has 10 employees getting five thousand instead there's problems there to find i don't think any of that should be even being passed around. The only way government should give money back is by not taking it in the first place. Otherwise, it's not. It's probably not your money. It's somebody else. It's just like the social security, social insurance scams. The money you're paying in today is not for you. It's to make sure the guy who's re just retired is getting his benefits. Because politicians and uh, bureaucrats are not good at predicting how investments should go. If they were, that system would be fine because it would be surviving on interest plus investments. But no, they dip uh, governments when they are bad at economics and bad at keeping their money under control, grab from the large so-called untouchable funds, and they do transfers that are innocuous in a way, not innocuous, um, you know, are almost secretive. Or they change the terms, and they don't tell anyone they're doing it. Because why should they? Their government, they're doing it for your best interest. Oh, 
You shouldn't leave your house. It's for your best interest. You shouldn't eat at the keg. It's for your best interest. You shouldn't meet with two other people who you know have never been sick from COVID because it's in your best interest. Oh, having three people in your house, well, the police are going to come knocking your door, but having 20 people in your backyard smoking marijuana and sharing, sharing vapes, oh, that's perfectly fine. Snitch on your neighbors, but, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't do anything too big. And I just feel terrible for the people who just completely fall in line and say, I will do whatever you tell me. When in response to the government, they just, they just lap it up. And I feel sad for them because if they honestly believe that they should be subservient to a government, then they are more, then they are more of a serf than a citizen. My success is because the government exists. Like, no, your success is despite the government existing. Reality. And what I wish you could do, and this, again, would require a ton of data, a ton of information, is finding some of these people who are just absolutely subservient to the government and have businesses and finding out if they've ever used the government to stop somebody from competing with them directly. I'm talking about fair anti-competition rules, such as, oh, they're going to buy this, so they change their product, or they figure out things, or, you know, stuff like that. But if they... You know, anything fair game like, oh, I'm going to build a new location, I'm going to upgrade my location, I'm going to change my pricing structure, I'm going to make sure my service plans are way better for people. Like, that, that's fair. But it, let's say somebody tried to compete with, like, Best Buy, and they started a store and they started doing this, and then Best Buy just continuously sends in government compliancy workers to go inspect them. Just completely sends these complaints, and the government compliance guys have to keep showing up, and they keep being detrimental to business or they say hey this location is technically okay but it needs this zoning clause or it needs like this lease tenant or it needs like you know you don't have the right access or like your trucks can't come in this road because of a new ordinance they got passed or if there was a thing where your business license was 10 days late of renewal so therefore it should not be approved you also wonder what what um people who are doing that are also the same people who just completely surrender because if they are they should be the ones who are criticized for it. Not ostracized. I don't believe that would be an effective method of like separating them out of society and saying, like, you use the government meant for victory, and then and, and in, um, in response, when the government tells you something, you absolutely bow over to them. It should be, you bow over to the government, fine, but you're not using it to cheat and make sure the system is only is going to reward you for being this way. It's we're in a weird gamer's dilemma where, where when it comes to government money, the people who are being ethical and saying, I don't want to take the government money, are the ones who are losing because they want to stand on their own. Now, do I believe at some point in time the governments are going to use the, the money they handed out as a hook to grab and demand change or something? I hope not. History has shown that corruption appears in all shapes, and the party in power, if the population that supports them supports that kind of corruption, of course it can definitely happen. Now, with regards to Canada, how Canada's going, I don't think there's a real unified Canadian culture existing anymore. I was talking to a friend of mine who's now, he's, he's working in Hong Kong, and he pretty much refuses to come back just from how Canada's gone. Like, um, how the Alberta government closed down Grace Life Church uh, for Easter Sunday. What I would like to know about their choice to close it down is, do they have evidence of spread in Grace Life Church? Not just violations of code, but actual evidence of spread and malice and um, 
injuries, were there injured parties in that that they could directly prove? Like if, um, if multiple congregates brought COVID-19 in there and spread it to their community and Grosselite was ch- catalyst, I might say, okay, you have, you have probable cause to say that this group of people are harming society by allowing the incubation and spread of COVID within their population. Uh, if they're arrogant to it, that's one thing. If they are saying we, which, you know, you, you say negligence, that's as best as you could go to it. If they were s- supportive of spreading it in their community, then you might have an idea of, like, this is an intentional act, an intentional threat to society and to the population surrounding this area. And the fact that we have seen no information about that from the government is terrifying to me, saying that, oh, we can just go shut down a church because they're meeting in a, in a size we disagree with. Has there been any direct spread from that church? Well, no, but we just disagree with the size. So you can now take private places and say, hey, your fire code, like just arbitrarily put numbers at, number percentages related to the fire code, and say, if you have too many people, you're now, um, we're going to punish you. Okay, can, can you do that fairly across the board? Like if uh, Costco says it can, the fire code only allows 600 people in, and yet you go there, and you count at one point in time, 800. Can they also be, like, can you send the RCMP and fence up that Costco as well? Or are you going to be like, well, it's uh, people go into Costco for about an hour or two. Do they Are they actually having people click on both sides? Because last time I was at Costco, during this current lockdown, I didn't see that. Same with um, some of the supermarkets I go into. Same with some of the stores. You just don't see that all that often. Some stores do. And for those that do, I credit them for at least trying to keep track of information. Probably their insurance policy or their um, or their store manager, um, their chain manager is high enough up to say, like, this is something we should actively do. But if it's not being done for all, why is it fair to single out one group? Does West Edmonton Mall have a confirmed tally of how many people are in it at any one point in time. And if that exceeds the provincial fire requirement number that has been arbitrarily pucked out of the sky as 15%, if they exceed that and go to 20%, is West of Mall going to be boarded up and shut down for a week or two or three or until they get compliance? At Wadman's, if they get compliance and then 50 and then like 300 people just surge in, at the end of the day, when they are already at max capacity and they get a surge in, are they going to have the doors auto-lock so that people can't uh, get in, but they can exit, and so thus there's like a, you know, an airlock system blocking them in? Like, what are you going to do? Why is it Grace Life Church is being targeted for that? Now, if, if the government's excuse is that they have been publicly mocking the health code, it's like, well, no. I've been publicly criticizing the health code. Mocking would be, be like you know, putting up, you know, going to Edmonton and putting up pictures of uh, Dina Henshaw and Jason Kenny with like the Joker faces, stuff like that, and being like, you know, these guys are traitors, stuff like that, and COVID doesn't exist. I mean, they, there is a portion of the, their statements that is COVID's dangerous, but not that bad, which I don't agree with, but I think it's ballsy enough for them to do it. I don't like how that was the response of the RCMP. It was just, oh, okay, we're just going to lock down the safe. Like, so my property can be completely blocked by arbitrary action from the government. 
oh, you violate it many times. I was like, but we're not sick here. Well, it's not that you aren't sick. We, we, we would love to get instant testing. Well, that won't, that won't do. I think the access to instant testing will start doing things. And if companies can get this instant testing where you get your results back in five minutes or whatever, if that could become prevalent, and then the government does not step down from their position, even though you are documenting the people who have it coming in, and you're finding out, like, we've had 30% of our, of our uh, space used, of our seeing capacity. Nobody tested positive for COVID, and we've tested them the second week. We had them come back and retest, and we've requested that they get a test done, a third-party test or a government test. If that starts happening and the government still, nope, nope, can't, can't congregate, even though you know that the population that is congregating for a church, for... Um, for a mitzvah, for a uh, you know, going to the synagogue, going to a temple, going to a going to the mosque, going to you know, anything, and yet they're doing everything to stay healthy and fine, and they have documented proof that nobody's been sick, and nobody ha- will be, and you can't make they will be sick. Sorry, but you are doing instantaneous testing. You are keeping track of the people who are sick, who have they gotten sick through the church. Or synagogue, or mosque, or temple, or or behavior, what have you, place of worship. If you have no evidence of that, and you target them to shut it down, and yet your data is, there were literally two cases in this church. Both were caught from outside the church. Both did not spread in the church. Both these cases were pre-November last year, which. I believe that was Grace Life's claim. I don't know if that's 100%. I don't know if that's true or not. That's Grace Life's claim. Like, I think it was pre-November, December is when they were saying they were making that criticism of the government. And, of course, then they had their pastor arrested. Why would you release the pastor if you were so concerned that they were going to do this? This seems to be a marketing ploy. A very bad advertising campaign. And government just is very bad at that. I don't think government should be able to step into that. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms say that we can congregate, but they're going to say, well, you can do so safely. And unfortunately, our founding gov- fathers versus the United States gave, gave leeway to the government to prove their case versus giving the citizens the right to say, no, government, step off. So where do we go from here? Well, you get vaccinated. That's your first goal. You get your two shots. One if it's Johnson & Johnson. You see these... Absolutely terribly written articles by people who are panicking about AstraZeneca in Europe and Johnson & Johnson in the United States that the minuscule numbers of people who have had blood clot issues or adverse reactions, and yet they're saying, we're just going to stop. We're, we, these two vaccines, we can't use them right now. So you've administered like 20 to 30, maybe even 40 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine globally. You've had like less than 30 or 40 blood clotting events and yet you, 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 like governments are stopping it from being deployed these types of if going back to the freaking flu, va- flu vaccines the annual flu vaccines numbers like this were not were the same for, for terrifying adverse reactions were known to happen with even the regular flu vaccine it was like 0.15% or whatever so of a thousand people one person might have it. Of 10,000 people, 15 people would have a adverse reaction. You're talking about less than 100 people, less than um, 50 people, for almost 40 to 50 million inoculations, and you're stopping it. 
geez, I hope that you use that number on the next flu vaccine that goes around. Otherwise, you guys are hypocrites. This is a vaccine that is supposed to bring the... These vaccines are supposed to bring the world back to a state of... Of, um... Real... Of normalcy. Pre-2020. But if the government is going to allow... Is going to say, you cannot do anything until you are vaccinated. But these vaccines that will help us speed up inoculation because of super, super tiny percentages of people are getting sick from these and having adverse reactions, which was within predictability range. These are below what they predicted it would be as of right now. Then we can't have these vaccines being used, even though that if we cut them off the table, we're talking about over a billion more people will not get vaccinated this year. And many more people will die from that. Oh, and because you've been trying to run this campaign against the anti-vaccine population, and now you've just given them a huge win of skepticism and saying, oh, government can't be trusted with vaccines. Look at these. They're, they're freaking out over that. And everyone's saying, oh, well, you know, like the tests are being done. Like, the tests were done differently because of the different timelines and the different amount of like, you know, the sample sizes were different. And we've heard that Pfizer's going to possibly need a third shot next year to defeat it. Now, that's the assumption is, is that the coronavirus has supplanted the flu and becomes the seasonal um, sickness, which it might very well be. And with the people who are working on biotech and all those companies, could be the reality, especially the fact that the Sino vaccine that's coming out of China their efficacy rate turns out to be about 50%. So one out of two um, shots of people fully vaccinated by it may not experience the full symptoms of COVID-19, might possibly still carry it at a very low level, but that's not enough to defeat it versus what we're seeing with AstraZeneca, with Moderna um, being at, and Pfizer being in the high 90 to 93% range. By the way, the flu vaccine was like, Seven, like 50 to 70% at best. like, And we were reaching herd immunity with that somewhere around 70% of the population, yet this one we're going to need like arbitrarily defined as 80 to 85% now. Just as an issue with the global travel that basically the governments around the world just surrendered at and didn't even try to take care of. It would have been easier if all the nations were self-securing, but global trade takes precedent, which it, it's true, it is the economic... Um, lifeblood of the world but global travel that was seen as too easy to do is really what spread it like once it left china it was global there wasn't going to be anything anyone was really going to be able to do about it the chinese had been able to control it with their dictatorial powers they weren't able to of course i don't think they actually been used enough of those powers until it was too late until the you know that cat's out of the bag sort of thing why didn't the west rest of the world work on it I mean, European Union was screwed because of their open borders between all their countries. They couldn't do that. They couldn't effectively block it because of the stupid trade pact between all the nations of the EU. And it shows an extreme weakness of the EU, which is if you do have a epidemic event, it can sweep across that continent because there's almost no trade barriers. There's almost no travel barriers to set one up. Is going against the, is practically going against the EU constitution. It takes like a huge amount of effort to set that stuff back up again. Versus uh, other countries such as Canada and the U.S., it's relatively easy for us to shut down our borders between us. Compared to the EU, did it work? No. Our porous borders still let people through, no problem. 
Our governments allowed airplanes flying in from affected nations all over the world with very little emphasis on keeping track of who these people were who were sick until until the premier started complaining to the government, specifically uh, Doug Ford, um, started complaining to the government that the... Uh, Doug Ford, no. Yeah, Doug Ford, because Rob Ford was his brother who was the crazy one. But Doug, like, you know, he couldn't do anything. So he complained to the federal government, and the federal government's like, okay, fine, we'll build these, we'll build these hotels. We'll, we'll buy out these hotels, and then we'll put undisclosed locations at the five international airports where people come in, they test positive, they stay at their hotel... And they test positive again, and they have to go to the special location, which is undisclosed, and that we don't want anyone talking about. It's like, no, you, you, you missed the point. It's not that's going to might help if it's done correctly, which it wasn't from the start. That's how the virus from the UK got in. That's how the Brazilian virus got in. That's how the South African virus is probably going to get in. I think it is already here. So we know that that didn't work. But you waited almost not you waited 10 months from the initial globally recognized outbreak of March 16th when the world was like, you know, okay, time to freak out about this and actually do the right thing. We look at that and we see the reality which is you didn't do anything. You stopped tra- travel between Canada and the US, but you didn't stop it almost anywhere else. And the nations that tried to Started okay until they stopped trying. Like how did how did the UK screw up? They're an island. They could shut everything down. How did they get effed by this? Oh, and by the way, Boris Johnson taking credit for saying the government was the great savior of the country by forcing these lockdowns. Like, oh, it wasn't it? Was the vaccine that was able to be very quickly distributed to your population, and then you you start criticizing the AstraZeneca because of these. 16 to 20 cases at that time. I know it's a little bit higher now, but still not much. And I've been going on ranting about this, but, you know, it's in the past, and let's frickin' hope that there's studies and research being done and audits on governments being being instituted and saying, like, here's everything that went wrong. Here are the politicians that can be voted out and removed. Here are the bureaucrats who made the wrong decisions who have not been punished. It'd be great if they named names. Will they? Probably not. So now to a COVID-related segment. Because of COVID, of course, there was a reduction in the available silicon chips around the world because TSMC and Samsung had production relaxes during the initial COVID wave in um, early 2020. So they thought, okay, people are not buying cars, not buying this. The stuff isn't going to be bought because of the economic downturn. We're going to slow production down, and we're not going to rush to expand it. And, oh, a bunch of vendors are saying, oh, we don't need this much. And then all of a sudden, the reality of COVID started hitting, and people were buying buying new um, you know, new hardware for their computers. They were buying, new con- they were buying consoles that so they haven't gotten into gaming. Um, people in urban areas that have not driven cars in a long time, such as New York, are buying cars because they want to get the hell out and not use public transit anymore. Um. Smart fridges, smart components, like all these things that could have been dumb, but now because of some push to make them even more uh, efficient, we've put in brains in them. We've put in brains in them in ways that really aren't necessary, but makes us feel good. Um, so all that's come up. And then they all the surge of demand comes, and Samsung and TSMC is like, oh, crap, we're already full of capacity now with the fr- initial wave of this. We have no space to give. It's going to be... 
basically from what I I've been hearing mid 2022 before uh you know the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X might actually be in relatively constant stock. That's because these components which is needed in so much more today than it was a decade ago and how production you know they were predicting it was going to be similar to 2019 or less so because of COVID-19 when they were making these predictions. And it's not like you can it's much easier to cut production than it is to ramp up production. Because if you are running at 80% to 90% production all the time, and then you have an event that says, okay, we can cut production down to 70, maybe even 60 to be safe, like, you know, maybe cut a whole shift out, whole shift of the three or four shifts we're doing a day, maybe cut that by a bit. bit and, you know, our delivery times can be a little more expen- extended, and there's not this huge push on things. Yeah, maybe able to walk away saying, "Okay, there's compromise that we can do here to keep things going, but not inefficient for the company in the long run." And when everyone comes flying back, you're saying, "Okay, we need more than we thought we needed, a lot more." Do you have space? And you're like, "No, I'm full." Well, can you get more space? Like, "No, I'm at 100 percent, and I won't have anything till 2023." Like, other events need to sl- need to calm down for me to get resources, which I'm already running as much through as I possibly can. So I need a new factory. I can tool down a factory very quickly. It's not great, but I can tool down a factory. If I'm already have that factory at max, at like high p- percentage performance, and I now need to go from 90% of what I was doing before to 150%, I don't have that. I don't have more space than 100%. I need a new factory, which can take, you know, sure, buying a factory, buying a building doesn't take a lot of time. To build one probably takes a little bit of time. Like, you can put up a good quality warehouse in maybe under a year here with good ventilation, good access. Uh, you know, if you got the right contractor going on it, but then you need the tooling. And if the tooling is specially made, I need to have them. How many people are making that tooling? Probably not that many, because if there's only two companies making these silicon chips, Samsung and TSMC, the odds are there's not a lot of companies making the tooling for that. So it's not like you can say, I need 100 more. Uh, 100 more units of what I requested. I requested 20, and I need now 100. And they're like, well, you and Samsung both asked for 100 more, and we were only supposed to make, like, 80 this year, and now we're going to make 290? Like, we don't have the capacity to increase that upgrade. There's this whole thing that's falling apart. And it's it's actually falling apart's the worst way to put it. It's a supply chain that's been known to be an issue and that was predictably going to be improved. But then COVID happened, and so everyone went one direction, saying, oh, okay, we're going to put our forecast down lower. And then the reality of the situation hit. The consumer versus, and the industrialists had thought, okay, this is how it's probably going to go. This is going to be a th- snap, then we're going to come back. And then the consumer customers, after it realized it wasn't a snap, started buying what they wanted. And now it's almost an every man for themselves sort of situation which has not helped by any stretch of the imagination. What does this mean? Well, unfortunately, we're probably going to see a shortage of a lot of things, both like Nintendo Switch-related stuff, um, PlayStation 5s for sure, Xbox Series Xs and Ss, um, graphics cards, possibly even reduced car shipments, because a lot of cars use these silicon chips in a lot more than they did, as well as appliances, like Samsung dryers, Samsung dishwashers, fridges, stuff like that. 
you know, um, TVs, all sorts of things. They all need this, and there's only a finite supply, and there's a much larger demand. People are at home during COVID, and they're saying, hey, what can I get? I, I, I want a better TV. Okay, I'm going to go buy a better TV. What would be nice is if there was a recycling, if you could recycle these silicon chips out very quickly and get wafers and systems designed for them to basically take old TVs, rip them down, get as much as you could out of them, and improve the production line. But again, that's something that's not going to happen overnight. That is going to take years to implement. So as long as there's a super high demand, these things are going to remain at their static price based on their high demand. And it means that some people are going to get lucky. Scalpers are going to continuously make money. And the businesses, because of the relatively like you know high demand for the snail's pace supply that is coming in, knows that there's very little reason for them to change their marketing and um, and and selling of these products because there's only so much of them to go around. And I'm making my money no matter what. I don't care who's buying it. I don't care if the guy who's buying them is ordering 40, has got a bot buying 40 of them, or if it's 40 in different individuals across a country. And unfortunately, from the standpoint of corporate corporatist selling, that's exactly right. It doesn't matter who's buying it as long as somebody is. I wish that we could get a more ethical retail um, system built which doesn't sound capitalistic at all, but when you realize that this is a corporatist move of like, I don't care who I'm selling to, but if you're selling to somebody who's not using your product, who is reducing the buyer's pool or the, you know, the pool of consumers who are enjoying it, which means that they may, which means that those people who wish to have it are not coming back and purchasing from you again, that's a single sale. Great, I sold the PlayStation 5 like 20 places drive to the scalper. But if they don't come back to buy accessories or gear, that was a one-off sale, which means my margins are not super great on that. So, nah, it's all business philosophy at this point. But wouldn't you want to make a sale and get a relationship with your consumers where they could trustworthily come back time and time again and get what they want? Or at least if they weren't, there was a system in place to allow them to have a better chance. So I think I've ranted on about this. I didn't have a lot of notes, but just ran on it. So, no. Season 4, episode 10. Hey, we're coming along. It's April, and we've already... It's halfway through April, and we've already recorded two more episodes than we did in all of 2020. So, good job, team. We're... What is it? Um, almost a third through the whole year. So, yeah. That's good. Thank you all very much. Uh, gravity is not the friend of fruit. Ain't that the truth? Thank you for tuning in, and hopefully next uh, Saturday or Sunday I'm able to produce another episode. Um, wife is getting a little bit busy for a, few, for a few weeks, but that's all in the good run, which will keep my head out of the annoying space of, oh, I don't have anything, which I, I really, like, the worst thing to do right now during the pandemic and all this stuff is the, woe is me, I don't have anything to do. It's like keeping busy through mind games, work, whatever, that's a healthy thing. If you are stationary, static, almost slob-like, are you really benefiting? Are you really getting anywhere? Pick up a hobby. Go walk a, go, go for a walk. Go for a bike ride. Drive a car. Walk a dog. Play with cats. You know, I don't know. Figure out something to do. Get a, uh, play video games. Make models. Write, 
Like, write a diary, write a book. Right. Draw designs, like, paint. Do anything and try to do it well, and this is what I'm doing here. Trying to do it, trying to keep my mind on it. All right, well, thank you very much, and for that nice little enlightening thing that I'm fairly certain the vast majority of people who have heard this have heard before. Thank you for tuning in. Bye.